I know we're called Mormons on Mushrooms, but we want to talk about all of it. Anything that we're doing to connect to our true selves, whether it's therapy, meditation, you know, whatever, like we want uh, yoga, any of these modalities, plant medicine, you know, to connect with our subconscious, to connect with ourself, to yeah. bring that self forward. That's what we want to talk about. Like math is the same thing that makes music, but music makes me feel the spirit, which is the which was the hardest thing for me to get over when I was an atheist, because I was like, I don't believe in God, but I believe that when I hear the right combination of notes, I can feel God in me. I mean, we can tell through quantum physics that we are all connected through some invisible force field. And at the end of the day, we're just a whole bunch of subatomic particles going really fast together and we're all just part of the universe as you said so when you're talking about where does the you actually end i don't think it does because i think technically we are all you we are all us just in different perspectives cuckoo tube <laughs> and then after i purged that mormon trauma there was like this voice I was hearing inside of me that's like, it's time. It's time for us all to come together. And so I started having this dialogue and this discussion. And then I had a conversation with Joseph Smith, which was awesome. And then I had a conversation with uh You with can my just gloss over that part. Yeah. <laughs> We're just gonna like continue the story. <laughs> is infants on thrones baby steps who wants someone to preach to the philosophies of men i like magical toys who wants mingled with humor i don't believe in them there will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor we are evolving baby steps you can buy in this world of money the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone welcome back to infants on thrones i'm glenn ostland and this is episode 706 Infants on Mormons on Mushrooms on Thrones, where I sit and talk with the three hosts of the Mormons on Mushroom podcast. Doug? I don't believe in God, but I believe that when I hear the right combination of notes, I can feel God in me. Shalice? We are all you. We are all us, just in different perspectives. And Mike? Voice I was hearing inside me that's like, it's time. It's time for us all to come together. Now, we just turned on the mic and started talking, and we covered subjects like ayahuasca, Joseph Smith, my book, Bathing with God, that is available to purchase on Amazon.com, the nature of the brain, psychics, a thing called bufu that is DMT that comes from a frog, an even better reason for supporting Infants on Thrones on Patreon than you've ever been given before, and many other things. It's a fun discussion, and I really like these Mormons on Mushroom fellows and fellette. And if I get my way, we'll be having several more conversations just like this one in the not-too-distant future. But don't live in the future, man. The present moment is right here, right now. So let's get to it. Sunshine, K. 
about your book for a second like I, I i got lost uh listening to your your book and you know you it's lost funny. well i got lost because i kind of have a job to do and, and oh. shit going on. <laughs> i wasn't sure what you, you know <laughs> but glenn i gotta tell you like when i was going through my exiting the church stage and um sort of like kind of angry and making fun of the church and then you know i've come full circle since then where i i i kind of love the church but uh well full, full circle would mean that you're back angry and making fun of it again wouldn't it God, it's tough talking to people <laughs> that are smarter than you because then you can't say things like full circle you have to say i mean i've done a 180 on the church yeah. yeah and then i go but is it really 180 because it might be more like <laughs> i mean it's not linear dude i didn't go like no. but uh when everybody else, so my wife, big part of my wife's transition was some of the other Mormon podcasts, but you guys in the early days, Infants on Thrones was like the, my go-to. So I, mm. I, I am, I am going to fanboy for just a second and say thank you. Cause I, you know, I didn't have yeah, anybody, I didn't have anybody at the time and you guys were right up my alley of like a little bit of reverent, a little bit of talking about some of the things that bugged you, little things that, you know, that kind of stuff that was like right up my alley. So thank yeah. you is what I'll start with. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, your podcast plus John Larson's podcast came to me at just a perfect time in my life. And we can talk about this a little bit in, in uh, how, like if you would have told me a year ago that I would be here with sitting with you, Glenn, I would never have believed it. And maybe really? it's Why? part of, I was, I didn't think I could ever, I didn't think I'd ever do a podcast. Like I didn't think uh, I had anything good to say. It's part of like, I think what's the magic and maybe the magic of going on a journey and shedding layers mm. that you end up removing the blocks in you that prevented you from getting, you know, doing things, getting your voice out there. And it's <laughs> anyway, I'm just saying that like, there's a, a beauty in removing layers and trusting rather than like, all so goal oriented and like uh, New Year's resolutions. Yeah. So, so what made the three of you start a, a podcast? So Mike and I have like a pretty similar uh, story and timeline of exiting the church and going through all the stages of, of loss when it comes to leaving the church. And, and we found psychedelics together. And uh, the night of uh, our ayahuasca ceremony, I guess the morning of the morning after, Mike was really talking about uh, getting his voice out there and kind of bridging the gap between um, leaving Mormonism and finding some level of spirituality and finding um, a little bit of that uh, connection with the divine or connection with self or connection with God, whatever, however we want to term it. Yeah. And so he and I just kind of started talking about um, talking about it and recording it. And, and bringing on people that were interesting that might have something to say. And Shalice found us pretty early and we were, we were quick to jump on the Shalice bandwagon of, of kind of being like, okay, there's the face and the voice for our podcast. Mike and I can provide the editing and posting for our podcast. And so we just kind of connected through, you know, uh, Mike and Shalice are both in LA. I'm up in Idaho, but we connected through that. And, um, through Mike wanting to 
I guess having that kind of revelation and through psychedelics and specifically through ayahuasca, it was kind of like, well, I think that there's probably more people than we think mm -hmm. that are going through this transition of like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't, I don't know that I believe in the truth claims of the church uh, and, and especially from like Joseph and Brigham, but I do believe in a, I'm more than atheist. I believe that I have some kind of connection with uh, the divine. So that's kind of how we got the podcast going. Yeah. Did, so, so when you say more than atheist, so did you go through that atheist phase of like angry ex-Mormon atheist kind of thing? Big time. Yeah. Shalice, you want to answer that and then I'll give my answer. It was really just an uh, annihilation of religion. Mm. And so there was some crossover in ways because then I thought, well, was Jesus even real? You know, and I start questioning literally everything that's in the Bible, because to me, the Bible is exclusively God and like that one specific God, which I think it is safe to say. Um, and so there was a lot of that just kind of being angry at religion in general. And then I always had, I always had an interest in the spirit world and ghosts, if you will. And oh, yeah. so I never really lost my spirituality because I have so many ghost stories. I was always connected to the mm. other side in some way. So I knew that there was something else. It wasn't just like black afterwards. Um, and then I just kind of started to slowly explore that over the course of maybe 10 years. Cause I've, I left the church in around 2010, 2011. Mm -hmm. So it's been a while, like before podcasts were even a thing, I'm pretty sure. So No, no. I think I was podcasting in were... 2010 and 2011. <laughs> oh, before. Okay. Before I knew of them, yeah. really. Um, Cause I feel like the website. Before you were that... a certain age uh, that podcasts <laughs> yeah. become relevant, I guess. Right. Right? I guess. I mean, the websites that I was looking for information on were those like super janky built in the nineties, like purple background left aligned like super weird websites i'm like can i trust this information with like the yellow font right purple <laughs> yeah. background yellow font yeah yeah so it or was like blogspot yeah, yeah. blogspot.com yeah it was a rough kind of way to get my information but it didn't take much for me to bounce so i was like yeah this isn't working for me so but it's been fun now that I've been out diving back into Mormonism to see all of the things that I supposedly believed and had no idea or the actual history of the church. And I have gotten a little bit more riled up since then. I mm. think it's like the, the anger is coming in late, which is funny because it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> but it, I'm still like purging those feelings from yeah. a long time ago. Yeah, I just, I just throw out there that um, I went like full-blown atheist you know, when the, when, when your shelf crashes and the world comes like tumbling down, you look for like, uh, you know, Christopher Hitchens, Carl Sagan, uh, that type of thing. I was a big, I was a big Penn Jillette disciple for a lot of, for a lot of years. Yeah. And, and for me, it was just like, um, yeah, if, it, if, if, if a portion of it's not true, then none of it's true. And so I had to go through the process of building my own sort of like mythological belief structure from there. But for a number of years, I was a, I was an angry, jaded, bitter uh, person. And I, I took that out, you know, through Reddit and through speaking of Blogspot, I had my own yeah. blog where I, you know, preached, uh, you know, atheism and stuff like that. And it wasn't until, you know, kind of uh, dabbling with plant medicines where I started feeling like, Oh no, there's, there's probably a, a, a something that connects us all. I, and I don't know what to call that. And I don't know what the divinity source of that is, but 
um, I can't deny that there's that connection and I can't really, you know, here I am burying my testimony. I fucking, <laughs> I tried to get away from burying my testimony, but here I am again. I but wouldn't yeah, have I just, noticed that it was burying your testimony if you hadn't have said it. Okay. Now, now I'm waiting for you. <laughs> fair enough. I got all the, I got all the right beats. I got president Benson, uh, in the back of my mind telling me, Glenn, I am interested in, um, sorry to like, you know, turn this, turn the question back on you. But like, I, I, I was, I wasn't kidding when I, I, I tell you, I, I became fascinated listening to, and that's no small task to just drop everything and listen to a four hour audiobook. Mm. But what, I mean, what was your process like? It, it, it seems from the public eye that was pretty similar to kind of what I described, but what yeah. was your process like? Well, I, I think I was a reluctant atheist at one point. Like I, I associated atheism with people like Randy. Randy, sing us a song, Randy. Make all this pain go away. If you want to seek a love, your dad can never give a blowjob. Or your mother do whatever it is the lesbians do in bed but on our records you'll still have a red flag just in case you also turn into a fag as prophets and seers just trust we know what's best Yeah, yeah. And I didn't and I didn't want to be like Randy exactly. <laughs> yeah. I love Randy. Come on. Um but uh you know what was it? It was it was reading The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins and yeah. seeing that that scale um that agnostic scale and going, "Okay, I'm a 6 because I I think that like I don't know for certain if there's a God or not, but I think it's unlikely, especially all the stories that I hear, I think it's really unlikely. And I'm not living my life as if there's a God that's keeping track or watching or anything like that. So I guess that makes me a six on this scale, the de facto atheist. But I didn't like it because I didn't. That there wasn't any room on that scale for wishing that there was. <laughs> and I didn't even strongly wish that there was. I just, I wasn't comfortable with the whole um, certainty of there not being a God. Um, so I, I, I don't know that I was ever completely that kind of an atheist, but I, I recognized, uh, that the stories were just stories. And so my, my process was probably similar to yours with, um, you know, the way that plant medicines played a role in it. I, but I, I still, I still think it's really, it confuses people when they see the title of the book bathing with God and they think that I'm going to be like preaching some kind of God, to, like with whatever their idea of God is that that's what I'm trying to shove on them. Mm. And you know, I don't know. I, I'm not, I don't think, but, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So did I answer your question? I don't know. I can, I can tend to ramble with those questions and not hit the mark. I mean, we're in the right place for rambling, right? I mean, yeah, oh, for sure. We're three and a half white people on a podcast. Like, let's fucking ramble. Like, three, three and a half. White well, because Mike can't figure shit out. So I'm only oh, giving so him just a half. I wasn't sure if he was half white or half of a person. I, I couldn't tell. 
maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, have you gotten that kind of feedback? I mean, because for me, the book is quite clearly a, a conversation with the self, uh, yeah. for lack of a better term, or, you know, whatever we're talking about. But um, you had mentioned that that came to you through an ayahuasca ceremony. Well, what, what came to me through an ayahuasca ceremony um, was this was this was my second second ayahuasca ceremony and and each ceremony i've gone to there have been either two or three nights and so this was the second night of the second ayahuasca ceremony and for some reason it just was hitting me so hard and you know like within the first 20 or 30 minutes or so and i i was struggling against it i i didn't want it to happen i i started thinking why did i do this this is ridiculous. This is dumb. And I, I got up and I walked away from the circle and then I'm like, Oh, wait, wait, no, I don't like it away from the circle. I'm going to go back into the circle. And then I, I, you know, I was just like sitting there and I'm like fidgeting back and forth. just like, Oh, I hate, you know, I was just like struggling, 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 you know, like turning, Oh, there's somebody that can help me, somebody that can help me. I just was hating it for probably 10 or 15 minutes, just the struggle, struggle. And finally I just like relaxed into it. And then all of that struggle went away. It was kind of like this peaceful space. And I started having this imaginary conversation with myself and, and the, the voice that, that yeah, I didn't audibly hear it. It was just like inside of my mind. And it said, uh, what was that all about? <laughs> ah, no. yeah. well, that, that, that was interesting. What was that all about? And I said, I, I don't want ego death. I, I, don't, I don't want the ego death. I don't want to be irrelevant. I don't want to be wiped out. And it's like, this isn't, this isn't an ego death. This isn't a funeral. This is a marriage, you know, that I, I'm, I'm here to integrate with you. You're here to integrate with me, with your, your inner self. And yeah, this is, this is going to sound a little kooky, but, but um, yeah. that I, I made you, I designed you like, oh, and yeah. all of your flaws, like a- everything about you um, I, I designed and you have your flaws so that you can see the power that you have to overcome them. And you know, and so I started having this dialogue and this discussion. And then I had a conversation with Joseph Smith, which was awesome. And then I had a conversation with uh, you with can my just gloss over that part. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> We're just gonna like continue this story. <laughs> yes. No, no, no. Well, I'll, I'll go back to that. But I okay, but I, all right. but I had a conversation with my ex-wife and and with my my children, and and it was like inner self to inner self. You know, it's so like ego free, you know, like whatever I had in my imagination of of who these people were. So like, yeah. So what were the details of my conversation with Joseph Smith? The first thing I said to him was, I'm sorry. And he's like, well, what are you sorry about? I make fun of you a lot on a podcast. Like I'm I'm I rip you to shreds on a podcast. And he, and he goes, oh, oh, you mean that guy? Yeah, I didn't like that guy either. Yeah, that, that guy deserved to be made fun of. And, and, and so then he, you know, like kind of told me about some areas where he went wrong and, you know, like things that he was sorry for. I, I did an episode on infants on thrones um, (laughs) where I actually played audio from a different ayahuasca ceremony where I was kind of channeling Joseph Smith, telling the story of the night that he consummated his marriage with, uh, 
Helen Mar Kimball and like seeing her face. Like that was the moment when he realized the gravity of all of the shit he was doing was like seeing this poor girl's face and the, the fear and the tears in her eyes after the deed had been done. And it just like hit him. And that's when he kind of like wanted to die. He, he, he really regretted everything, wanted to die. So I, yeah, I did this, this episode called the, the fictional apology of Joseph Smith. And I didn't, I didn't say on the podcast, what you're hearing is me. <laughs> under ayahuasca <laughs> the apology of joseph smith um, i was always a, a curious person but i was also very skeptical and that may surprise a lot of you and I don't expect anybody to believe what I'm saying. I know I wouldn't if I was hearing it because I was very skeptical always. Even as a kid when I was hearing what my mom taught us about folk magic, it was interesting. There was something that drew me to it, but I challenged it. You guys don't know that, but it used to drive her nuts the way I would challenge her. But I wanted to test it. I wanted to prove it for myself. And that's how I got into the whole peepstone treasure digging thing. It was fun. And it was powerful. You know, people would pay us money to lead them on these treasure hunts. And we, didn't, we weren't getting money any other way. What would you do? But I knew, I knew what I was doing. And, um, but there were, there were experiences I started having because of the curiosity that I had. I really started feeling like I was connecting to God. I was connecting to the divine. You know, the first vision story, it's a nice story. I made it up. I made up a lot of stories. I'm a storyteller. But I started feeling like I was really connecting. I'm starting to understand the purpose of things. It's like... fervor that was around us at the time and this Protestant zeal was a seed and I started watering it watching it grow and what it as I explored these ideas it just became so clear to me that like us that there's a this thing that I call the light of Christ that's inside of everyone your spirit your soul I really believed that I really believed that we were deity in embryo and it was such a liberating way to view people around me because I had been so skeptical for so long 
I started really seeing the divine in everyone. I just loved everyone. And that kind of uh, ended up biting me in the ass, but we'll get to that. want to start a church. I was kind of, I was pressured into that. But it wasn't hard to go into because there was so much love, so much excitement. People loved the message. You know, the Book of Mormon was really my first venture into storytelling and it was clunky. But it was as I was exploring these ideas. I hadn't come to some of the insights that I came to later yet. That's obvious. But I was embarrassed. I didn't want people to know that this was really just me and my imagination. And I didn't feel like it was just me and my imagination. I felt like it was real. I was really tapping into the divine. And it was a weird process of writing the Book of Mormon and getting it published, but, you know, there there you have it. I did it. I was kind of embarrassed by it most of my life. But it drew people. It attracted something. It, it ignited a spark. It made people feel like they were important. And I really felt like they were important heavens weren't closed. That there was a chance for everybody to connect with the divine within themselves. That's how I thought of it. And so I framed it in different ways that I thought they would accept. I was always, I was always asking, how can I teach? How can I share what I'm feeling with others in a way that they'll understand it and accept it. And I made a lot of mistakes, a lot of trial and error. But ceilings, you know, when, when I got this idea for the, the temple, I mean, it was there in the Bible. So it wasn't like this brand new idea that I had, but that we could use this as a way to create a ritual to show people that we really are connected. And so I'll say, let's seal you together so now you feel like before you didn't believe that you were but now after this you feel that we are so we have these sealing ceremonies in the temple not just to husband and wife but to everyone we were all sealed together it wasn't about marriage it wasn't about sex it was about the unity of soul and how everyone was connected and the divine the way that I imagined it. But, you know, not everybody understood the way I was trying to teach it, and of course, you see today what's come of it. These symbols that had these ideas behind it that I was just exploring became monuments, monoliths. And a lot of wealth. I would have loved to have seen some of that wealth in my day. But it, it's corrupting. 
and I gave away as much as I ever earned. More. I didn't care about wealth. I did care about power. Felt good. The more that people were attracted to what I was saying, it felt good. And, um, you know, slowly over time, that uh, connection that I felt early to the divine got thinner and thinner and thinner. And it was as my ego was growing larger and larger and larger. It was kind of pushing it out. And I was still, I was still doing pretty good. I was still having good insights. I was still leading people in ways of self-discovery for them. But when I started taking the idea of sealing a little bit too far and loving <laughs> too far, it started with an innocent dalliance with Fanny Alger. I mean, there were others before that, truth be told. But that's the most well-known. And it gnawed at me. How could I do this? How could I have such this connection to the divine that I felt like I did, but still be cheating on Emma? She was awesome. Emma was awesome. Why was I cheating on her? What was wrong with me? It bothered me. And I invented rationalizations for it. DNC 132. It wasn't until Helen Mark Kimball, 14 years old, the most shameful moment of my life was the realization after the fact that what I did, what I thought was consensual, what I thought was an act of love, I saw in her eyes the fear and the resignation. And it didn't hit me until afterwards. What a horrible, horrible thing I had done. And how could everything that I had done up to this point led me to that. And I went a little crazy. <laughs> I got really defensive. I wasn't the same person I had been before. And I saw that the way that the direction that the church that I had started was going, I wasn't proud of anymore. It was out of my control. I was out of my control. And there's no excuses for it. What I did was wrong. I feel that wrong. I carry that wrong with me through eternity. There's no atonement that wipes away how wrong that was. And there's no atonement that removes from me 
shame isn't the right word, but it's the awareness of how wrong that was. That doesn't go away. That's a lesson, unfortunately, that I had to learn. But what I want to say to all of you who are questioning the Mormon Church, I want to say I'm sorry. I apologize. I was wrong. And the way that this church has gone, I'm not happy with. I'm on your side. If that means anything to you at all, I'm on your side. <laughs> um, but I did include that audio there. But it, it was it was a different ceremony than, than the one where I first kind of like had that breakthrough of that inner dialogue with the inner self that was then like, um, you know, so, so after that ceremony, when I'm, when I'm back home and I'm going about my day and I'm thinking, I, I was thinking about it a lot and I just started having these inner conversations with myself, like, well, what should I be doing right now? What, 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 what can I do to overcome these flaws that I have? What can I do to, to, to show my power? And it just, it just changed my focus of attention to where I started thinking more of like what, whatever an inner self is. And I still don't like all of the woo stuff that goes around. Like I, I, I think that there's a very logical, scientifically rational explanation as to what an inner self is because there's there's this part of our brain that's conscious and there's this part of our brain that isn't but the part of our brain that isn't conscious is what's really doing everything yeah. it's still like it's still a conversation with my own nervous system um but it's it's yeah. not that conscious it's it's when that that part that's outside of my consciousness comes into the consciousness, but it's still me. And it's, you know, like all this stuff. So, so that was the Genesis of the, the quad character in, in bathing with God. Um, that, that's, and, and, and some of the, some of the back and forth in that book um, were things that, like, you know, thoughts and ideas that came to me um, under plant medicine, but most of it, I mean, I, I say in the book, sitting in a bathtub, writing it on my phone, that's true. That's, I, I really yeah. did that. Pink Himalayan bath salt, baby. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like I'm more real time now. Can you guys hear me now? Yeah, yeah. dude. You're, okay. Yeah. okay, good. Because this is going to be better. But there's a couple things I want to chime in there. Um, and hopefully I'm not taking us off course because I missed how we got into there's that no story. Course. There's no, there's <laughs> no dude, course. Where, what course are you talking about, Mike? <laughs> But maybe this ties into why, you know, a little bit of my story and starting with the podcast and everything, because it, it, it does tie into my ayahuasca ceremony. And I've only done one night um, and it was with Doug. Um, but I thought I was channeling some Mormon trauma, but you, that was like another level that you were doing there, Glenn. <laughs> I, I, I could, I can tell you more stories I've got. Oh, I love it. That's more. so cool. I can't wait to listen to that episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go listen to it. Um, because my ayahuasca ceremony was very much about that. You know, I felt my grandmother there. I felt other who's passed. I felt other Mormon ancestors there. And my grandmother, I feel like she had a little inner hippie in her. Mm. And I felt like it was a beautiful moment where because when I left the church, there was a part of me that's like, am I walking away from my ancestors, from the people who crossed the plains and sacrificed so much? Am I walking away from that? And in that ceremony, I felt her passing the torch to me. 
kind of like I took us this far and you're getting experience all of this. Like I'm passing this torch to you. And what a beautiful moment that was for me to like reconnect. You know, you think about genealogy and like baptisms for the dead or whatever and connecting the lineage. I felt like it was connecting this lineage. And then it started going back further and further. And then I was feeling this collective Mormon trauma of shame and guilt. It probably goes way past Mormonism, Puritanism, whatever. Yeah. And that's what I ended up purging in the bucket when I purged uh, harmoniously with Doug. We were purging at the same time in a yeah. beautiful way. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty raucous, that purging. Yeah. But I know what you mean when you're saying like an inner, there was like a, it's almost like a telepathy, like the plant like grandmother was communicating to me and this is what kind of we had ideas about because I was doing getting into breath work before this ayahuasca ceremony mm. and on one of one of my breath works that I was doing it was like you need to get your voice out there and I'm like what does that even mean how do I get my voice out there and that very day I was I called Doug and we were talking and Doug's like you should do a podcast we should do a podcast and I'm like uh no i can't do a podcast <laughs> but i'm like that'd be kind of cool and at first it was like what if we did a podcast where we just shared funny trip stories and then the next morning i'm like well what if it's a podcast where we, yeah we share funny trip stories but we talk about healing and what we're doing whether it's through i mean i know we're called mormons on mushrooms but we want to talk about all of it anything that we're doing to connect to our true selves whether it's therapy meditation you know whatever like we want uh yoga any of these modalities, plant medicine, you know, to connect with our subconscious, to connect with ourself, to yeah. bring that self forward. That's what we want to talk about. And then after I'd purged that Mormon trauma, there was like this voice I was hearing inside of me. That's like, cause we were doing it like on this uh, summer solstice. I don't know. It was a kind of a big day with all the planets, whatever the astrology thing was going on really strong that day. And I was seeing people doing ceremonies like this all around and kind of getting this voice. It's time. It's time for us all to come together. And we're talking about getting into the woo. Let's get into it for a minute. Yeah. Like it's time. Don't you remember it's time. And I'm doing this with my hands, like, cause that's what I was doing. Like it's time. And I'm like, you guys, it's time. I open my eyes. I'm like, everyone else is feeling this and they're all in their own journey. Yeah. And that's what I carried with me through that was through that was like, it's time for, there's something beautiful about the Mormon people, uh, you know, descending from pioneers and uh, visionaries that it's a cool people, you know, and I feel like there's something shifting in the collective right now. That's so cool to be a part of. Anyway, did that derail us? Are we? No, no we're not, <laughs> no. we're not derailed at all. I, I love the idea of Joseph Smith, as this kind of like Larry David character <laughs> who had some really cool experiences. Maybe they were plant medicine induced. Maybe he did see God. Maybe he, you know, did all of the things that he claims. Glenn, I love your idea of like the night that he's consummating with Helen Mark Kimball. It's like that, that Larry David thing of like, well, I'm not going to go back on the lie and I've somehow got myself into this situation where now I've got. That's not even very funny to talk about a teenage bride. I was going down like a, isn't this humorous, like kind of scenario, but uh, now I kind of want to take back what I just said. <laughs> yeah. Own it. You got to own it. <laughs> I guess I'm owning a little bit, but yeah. yeah. No, I get what you mean though. 
I do like I do like the idea of Joseph having a lot of uh, regrets and a lot of like feeling what he's doing and just being like, okay, I think I've taken this too far. It was cool. It was like me trying to share a connection with you know divinity, and now I'm somehow the leader of a cult, and I've got these teenage brides. I don't know. Am I crazy if I think there's some humor found in there somewhere? I don't think crazy's the word. I, maybe oh, sick, pervert, yeah. sick pervert. twisted, yeah, insensitive, uncaring. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's uh, just it's just humanizing <laughs> this man who we've lifted up or we did lift up for so long, and making us realize that he was just a person at the end of the day who made mistakes, some very large mistakes, but just being able to have that perspective of, oh yeah, he was just a dude at the end of the day. Yeah, I I have a friend. Um, who is a psychic and she, she's actually, um, you, you had mentioned, I think, I think it was you, Mike, that mentioned John Larson. Um, so, mm -hmm. so I, I podcasted with John Larson on Mormon expression before infants on thrones. And he got really upset with me because I wanted to interview this psychic and do like a live, have her do a reading. And he didn't want me to do that. And I did it anyway. And then I, you know, like shared the audio with the group and he's like, you're undermining me. That's it. We're done. You know, kind of thing. Oh, yeah. me off. Yeah. But, but I, I stayed friends with her and we would have all kinds of conversations. She, she was a convert to the Mormon church. We'd have all kinds of conversations about Joseph Smith and I've got him recorded. I just, I've never shared publicly any of these. This is weird. I'm just going to tell it to you. It's like, they're saying to you, Glenn, Joseph Smith is somewhat of a brother to you. How? I don't know what that means. Well, I'd like to know what that means. I'm asking, well, in a past life, was he a brother? And they say, well, you have an understanding of him like, like a brother that can understand his psyche and like somehow um, gain insight into him that, that others don't know. And a lot of it, I feel it like comes from your gut. Somehow you have some kind of memory of him. I don't, I don't know. And somehow can like um, illuminate his complexities in a way that I just feel like you have knowledge of him that goes beyond what's what's in front of us, and you need to kind of go with that more so. Uh, there, there was one that we did where she channeled Emma Smith, and that one I published as an episode on Infants on Thrones. There's showing she's showing him jumping on a moving train that's preparing to crash. It was my goal to redirect the train. She's like redirecting it and 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 showing it away like towards towards truth, because I believed in the beginning and even in the end that Joseph could have steered that train towards good and towards truth. I always felt God's presence with him, but he chose to ignore that God in 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 favor of like a crowd of people around him. And pleasing that crowd, that is that is when we grew so separate. It's because he like he has this little entourage and she's not part of it. She didn't she didn't want part of it. That's why you're seeing me as antisocial and having nothing good to say. That I don't like anything. But in truth I don't like the entourage. I don't like those around him. I don't like those feeling they're like whispering in his ears telling him what to prophesize about. It wasn't even coming from him. Some of it didn't even come from his imagination. Because he couldn't say no and push people away. They were like washing his feet, she's showing. Made him feel good. But one of the things 
and and again, it, it like for me, I'm I'm approaching this like, yeah, I I know psychic, whatever. I I don't know if I believe this or not, but this is a fun conversation, you know. Like, I would ask a question, and usually I'm pretty good at anticipating how people are going to respond, and with her, I couldn't. It's like we have this idea in our head of like God is this one person, you know, but we don't feel that we're all one. But if we feel that we're all one and get rid of the idea that God is boss, they're showing like God up hitting people around and stuff that comes to be closer to the idea of God. In a sense, it's more like the more similar to how atheists think they're saying to atheism than we, we you know, than we like to think. You know, so she was always throwing me these curveballs, and it just made it really fun. And, and so I asked about Joseph Smith. She goes, you know, what they're telling me, because she's, you know, they're telling her stuff. Yeah. What they're telling me is that he was really kind of wimpy. In another way, they're saying that Joseph, part of his beauty and part of his purity was that he was kind of wimpy. I feel like an easily persuaded, no, no, no vessel, no human vessel is perfect, especially when, when dealing with, um, with um, this kind of, mass massive amount of information so did did joseph smith get signs i'm asking if that that brigham young was was wrong and they're saying yes but he also he feels like kind of a wimpy person and that he that he just kind of like <laughs> like there were all of these powerful people around him that he was trying to make them happy and he didn't really have good boundaries he didn't know how to say no to things and then it and then it went to his head and i'm like okay i, I thought he was like see that i could kind of see that <laughs> yeah i could see and that. so it's it's it I totally can. changed the way that i that i looked at this guy <laughs> um and you know like i i was asking her about the gold plates i'm like yeah but there weren't really gold plates she's like no there were that there, there was something about that that was real like even if it was just he was imagining there was something real and i'm like what what i don't i don't get it but yeah, that, so that that was fat. I, I I've toyed with going back to some of those old recordings because they're like eight years old or dude, or you got to. I know yeah. I might. I just have to like edit out all the personal stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh right, all the personal something... stuff that makes it seem like I believe what she's saying because I can't have that go out publicly. <laughs> hey, oh, we've got an image. Go. Hey, we've got you got an image. To <laughs> I got an image yeah. to to you know. <laughs> well, let me oh. see something with that because I feel like. Because like right now, I mean, I think we were guests on another podcast. I think it was the Happy Xmo podcast where she asked us kind of like what we believe now. And I, you're, you hinted at like when I was listening to the start of your book, Glenn, it's like there is no, like for so long in Mormonism, we were given the answers in the back of the book and we had to make everything else fit. And then now it's like reversed where there, there are no answers. Any door you open, it's just more questions. So it's like with these things with like psychics or past lives or any of the stuff that feels very woo woo, it's like, go in, have fun with it. And you yeah. know what? Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not, but maybe, maybe it opens a door that leads to more questions. Yeah. And it's, it, in other words, it's like, it's so cool now to be at this stage where it's like, everything just builds on each on itself and it's expansive, you know, and exploring that in a, in a sense of play can be really fun that's that's it the extent the that's how i look at it like I, I look at it as an expression of art 
And, you know, like whether it's true or not, you know, like if I'm listening to music, I don't care if it's true or not. I, you know, like I'm <laughs> listening to how it makes me feel. And if I, you know, like, do I like this kind of music? Do I not like this kind of music? And, you know, that that's, that's how I feel about when I'm talking with a psychic or any of these kind of woo things. I'll let Alan Watt describe the way that I feel about magic. I like magical toys. I don't believe in them in the sense of uh, thinking they will help me in the competitive games of life. But when I see a figure of the Buddha seated on his lotus throne with an aureole behind him, an incense burning in front of him, I feel something glowing, warm, civilizing, humanizing, and also mysterious. It's very hard to say what it is or to put your finger on it because I don't think it would be there if I could. Like, I, I love listening to Abraham Hicks. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever listened to him. Yeah. It's so, it's, it's so interesting, but I get into arguments with my friends. They're like, why would you do that? She's a charlatan. She's fooling all, all these people. I'm like, yeah, it's fun. It's just, you know, it's, really, it's performance, you know, whatever it is. Well, in the concept, we keep talking about because like it's char. Crazy. That guy's yeah, weird, it's man. It's very Mormon. Bashar is so good. Bashar. <laughs> I don't know these people. I'm going to look them up. But <laughs> I saw There's... Bashar in person. Sorry to Did interrupt. Did you really? It was legit. <laughs> like you went to a you went to a, a one of his shows. A conference, really? yeah. Oh, cool. It was so good. Yeah. Anyway. No, there's there's a there's a really interesting documentary about Bashar that he made. Um, <laughs> I think it's I think it's on Gaia. Yeah. Uh, if you probably. guys ever watch Gaia, but. But yeah, that's he's there's some there's some Joseph Smith parallels to Bashar to his story. Interesting. Yeah. Dude, I watched so much Gaia that I'm like three years ago version of me would be embarrassed at how much <laughs> <Gaia>. <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. But it's kind of like this concept both of you mentioned, Mike and Glenn, like this concept of like true, because that's the basis, right? You get up and you're like, oh, I know it's true. Mm. And then you get into this thing of like, well, what does that even mean? Like, what 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 is saying something is true even really mean in, in in a in a sort of like a macro kind of like uh, view of it? Like, I can say like, um, I can tell the truth, and I I, I can say here's a, a an accounting of what happened, you know, last night when I was out. But like, what you know, when we're talking about like the church is true. What the fuck does that even mean? Yeah, the the, the church is true. Yeah. No way, Russell. You, Ru you can Rusty you can back it up and even do the same thing about the church. Wait, there's a church. What what is a church? The church. What, yeah, a, the a church. The church. Church. The church. <laughs> yeah. Like the the bi the bicycle is true. Like there's so many weird things that come into the concept of like. Uh, you know, being an active believing member of any sort of like belief system or any kind of like from woo woo to hardcore Mormonism, Catholicism, Buddhism, whatever this idea of, I don't know. I, I guess it's the idea of reality, truth. Like we kind of like pitch them all together into that same bucket, but like, yeah, yeah it's like this, this clairvoyant, uh, uh, reader that you have all these lost tapes that i really want to hear that oh, i, yeah, I, I kind of want to yeah. get a piece of yeah well who's to say that that's not true like her version of there were gold plates yeah joseph smith was a little bit of a pansy and he couldn't he was kind of a he was he was surrounding himself with these guys and he wanted to make them feel better and he was a sycophant all kinds of, 
well, who, okay, but cool. It, wh- yeah. What does truth mean? What is the, the, what is the rally of it? Cause I'm all of those things, all the things that we mentioned, I'm all of those things. Yeah. In, yeah. In, I get, I get into trouble when I talk about this because uh, people say, well, so what about objective truth? What about objective reality? It can't just all be subjective reality and, or intersubjective reality. But, but when like, and especially when I was, was writing the book and, and I was having these kinds of conversations with the inner quad, um, like there's an example in there about a tree, you know, like what, what yeah. a tree looks like from a human's perspective, what a tree looks like from a bat's perspective where they're using sound mm-hmm. instead of sight or like a snake where they're sensing it through thermal senses instead of, you know, like different things. Like which of those things is the true objective reality of what that tree actually is or how it appears. It, it every, Everything in our world around us is filtered through our physical senses and it, oh. and then our thoughts and our feelings about those thoughts. So like, is there objective reality out there? Yes. But the only way to ever experience it is through our subjective experience with it. So like we can never really touch or grasp or measure or you know, like it, when, as soon as we do, it's not objective reality anymore, even though you can put a, like, say this thing is three inches long. Okay. I'm going to measure it. It's three inches. Okay. It's three inches long. It, that's just the truth. That's the fact it's three inches long, but an inch is what? Like an inch is just this arbitrary mm-hmm. system of measurement. We're going, it's consistent here and it's consistent there. But if, if it was being looked at from a non-human perspective, we can't even imagine what that would look like or be like. Um, so I don't know. I actually listened to something that's basically saying this exact same thing. It was another person who was channeling on Gaia Mm -hmm. and she was channeling the ninth dimensional Pleiadians, which is my favorite episode. (laughs) But anyway, she was the what? The ninth dimensional Pleiadians. Okay. Talk about this episode. (laughs) I mean, you guys know, you guys know, I feel like I'm part Pleiadian or maybe all Pleiadian, right? Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Pleiadian party. Uh, But she said the exact same thing she said there actually is no truth unless you are at source creation everything is filtered through perspective almost word for word what you just said is what she was channeling i thought that was cool interesting i had an experience so shalice when we first i think it was in the second time we interviewed you you talked about your past life regressions Mm. and i was a little worried at the time being like whoa is this too woo to start (laughs) out and because in my mind i'm like i don't believe this stuff but that's shifted quickly in a way that's like, <laughs> what do I believe, right? Well, and then we brought on uh, a guest called Ashley Herb. She she does a lot of past live readings and I got one done by her. And it was really cool because in one of them, I was like this Brazilian medicine shaman. And she was like, you know what? We say past lives, but these are all, you know, time's an illusion. These are parallel <laughs> lives, right? These are happening now. So you can connect with this Brazilian shaman and like you can learn from him and then she pauses for a minute and she's like okay I can tell your Mormon mind's already like churning you're gonna take this way too seriously he <laughs> wants you to approach he wants you to approach him like you're going on an adventure and you're Indiana Jones and you're gonna go approach this guy and so I have I've through meditation I've connected with these other lives and you know what I don't know if I really am or not but what but I do feel like when I am connecting with them something is changing inside of me. Yeah. So whether or not it's a real thing or not, or it's part of my imagination, part of collective imagination through her, it's shifting something in me now. And so 
that's fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been reading this book recently called Inner Size, the hidden or the, the, the new science of unlocking, unlocking the hidden power of your brain, something like that. And uh, it, it's all about the power of like visualization. And, you know, like there, there's just so much power in our mind that that I, I can I, I can look at an experience like you're talking about, Mike, and whether there really are past lives and you were this Brazilian shaman guy in another life or parallel lives or whatever, or this is just something that you're imagining in your mind. If there's if there's like a benefit, like some kind of therapeutic benefit that comes from it, I think it's I think it's another example of you communicating with you. Yes. Oh, I love that. And yeah. and I, I I don't know where the limits of of you and and everything else begins <laughs> because if you know like if if you take away the, uh, the the atmosphere on this planet and we don't have any oxygen we're gone so we we kind of need oxygen as much as we need blood in our veins in our body. And, you know, like we've got this biology that keeps our blood going through our brains that keeps us alive. Well, we've also got this oxygen outside of our body. We need it just as much as we need the, the blood. Aren't we just as much a part of what's outside of us as we are a part of what's inside of us? Because it it goes together. It's the, it's my Alan Watts shirt, the interconnectedness of all things, you know? Yeah. I mean, we can tell through quantum physics that we are all connected through some invisible force field. And at the end of the day, we're just a whole bunch of subatomic particles going really fast together. And we're all just part of the universe, as you said. So when you're talking about where does the you actually end, I don't think it does because I think technically we are all you. We are all Mm. us just in different perspectives. Kukuka tube. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Um, you talk about that a little bit in the book. I mean, as far as like, well, what, 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 how do you identify? So you talked about the blood that's coursing through our veins. What's the blood made up of? Mm-hmm. You can, you know, you can drill down to, you know, I guess infinity. But one thing I want to, this is not relevant to anything. Glenn, when you talked about being on ayahuasca and having a conversation with Joseph Smith, mm-hmm. We all reacted the same way you reacted when Shalice was like, yeah, I was watching this documentary about ninth dimensional Pleiadians. Uh, yeah. Mike and I, Mike and I were like, yes, go on. <laughs> you and you were like, wait, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up a second here. Yeah. Tell me what so, the Pleiadians had to say. Yeah. <laughs> Continue. Yeah. So there's yeah, there's like some kind of like cool parallel there of like, well, Glenn, if you're having a conversation with Joseph Smith. I think Shalice can be getting in touch with her Palladian roots and her ninth dimensional like entity and existence yeah. and stuff like that. There's something yeah. very cool about the infinite nature of whatever we can imagine, uh, whatever's in the physical world around us, whatever's in the ethereal spiritual world around us. Like, okay, let's dig into it and, and enjoy it and try to experience a little bit because there's no limit yeah. to all of the different things that we can feel and you know we're talking about math like math is the same thing that makes music but music makes me feel the spirit which is the which was the hardest thing for me to get over when i was an atheist because i was like 
I don't believe in God, but I believe that when I hear the right combination of notes, I can feel God in me. Yeah. And that's just, that's just math, you know, I mean, when it comes down to it. So I love, I loved watching that, uh, the juxtaposition of when you said I had a conversation with Joe Smith on ayahuasca, we were like, well, fucking hold on a second here. Yeah. Tell us more about that. Yeah. And when Charisse was like, I watched the documentary about these Pleiadians, you were like, whoa, 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 Pleiadians? Yeah, I hadn't heard that, like what those... Can I take us? can I talk about, unless we want to go somewhere else with that. So I did Bufo on Sunday. What's again? Oh, again? Oh, okay. wow. So Bufo, have you heard of Bufo, Glenn? No, but I've Bufo. seen Teen Wolf. <laughs> I've seen it, Teen oh, Wolf. Teen Wolf. <laughs> I don't get the connection. Booth. I've seen Teen Wolf too. Booth oh, was, from... was on Teen Wolf. Yeah. Oh, I got to see that movie again, man. Booth. That was a good... Oh. That's a bad so movie. Bufo Dude, how is basically... <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of repression there right that was coming out in different yeah. ways um so bufo is basically dmt that's taken from the secretions of a toad oh, okay. that lives m- most of its life underground and then comes up every once in a while and they kind of get the secretions from the toad and crystallize it and then you smoke it and mm. it's a powerful dmt experience that lasts maybe 20 minutes tops and in it you feel you drop in so in this particular one i took the medicine and you kind of fall back into the quantum realm into this place where like so my my wife is there and uh the medicine shaman lady's there and you know how you kind of feel the dualities i don't know if you felt this on ayahuasca where it's like everything is about your journey and then at the same time like you're the most important person on this planet and at the same time like you're in so insignificant like it's mm. like that duality right i was feeling that duality of my wife and this medicine woman were there their entire existence was there just so i could go through this moment and birth this thing into reality whatever it is so i'm trying to work through fear there's a fear of like there's a fear that comes with this, like the podcast and putting my voice out there. And, yeah. and also some other things in my personal life that are coming up that creating a lot of fear and, and a feeling of scarcity, right? When you're in this mindset of like scarcity, it's, you kind of have to fight for what's yours. And there's a fear there of, of loss and attachment. And so I'm in this realm and I'm crying, I'm like channeling something through. And then all of a sudden, I'm in like this space of like abundant love mm. that's just so overwhelming of yeah. love. And I'm trying to remember how this tied in what we were talking about, but I think it's like a little bit of the, of this duality thing of like, were we even talking about this? <laughs> Dude, we're going we to. Now. It's all true. We're going to now. Anyway, I want to talk about this because it just happened to me, but I feel like there's, so in this realm of abundant love, like there was no competition, right? There was just, there was only abundance. And when there's abundance, there's no fighting over scarcity and resources and what's yours and what's mine. It's like, you know what? It's abundant and it's regenerative and it keeps, you know, in this, I don't know if it's in a, a different dimension or something that we can bring to this earth of like this abundant love. Um, Anyway, that was a very powerful experience that I wanted to share. 
(laughs) I think that's amazing. And I just have to say, because it ties in so perfectly in that same ninth dimensional Pleiadian interview. What? (laughs) She says um, that the reason we come down to the third dimension is so that we can experience the duality one, but also so that we can experience the pain and the fear of not being able to manifest things as quickly. Basically, there's like this um, block that has to be put on our brains in the third dimensional only because in fifth, sixth, seventh, however many 12, I think dimensions there are, they can manifest instantly. They think of something and it appears and they just know that there's always abundance. And when we come to earth in the third dimension, we drop into an ego. She said they had to put an ego in place or else we would realize how easy it was to create abundance and we would just like go out of the, re- the reality. And so I found that so interesting that she's like, that's why we had to create ego because we put people on earth and they realized how quickly they could just move on and like, oh, this is easy. And they would just leave. (laughs) So So they had to create another version of the matrix. Yeah, yeah, they had to add a layer of blindness to create fear, which is what we're constantly working through. The ego is trying to keep us safe because it's afraid that we're not going to be safe. And so the power of manifestation and abundance really just comes from the idea of knowing that you can actually manifest anything that you want. Can you? Can you manifest anything that you want, Shalise? I think, can I personally? Yeah. yeah. I actually have put it to the test and I have manifested so many things in my life. Like, What does that mean? Because really that, that's one of those words that like... My, uh, my my partner who I live with and, and her kids, they tease her about this all the time. They're like, oh, did you just manifest that mom? Are you manifesting this? So like, like how, how does manifest manifesting uh, work for you? Like, what does that mean? So for me, it's just a power of intention and the power of knowing that anything is possible. Because once you put worry or fear into something, Not only are you projecting your consciousness into a future moment that doesn't even exist yet, which gives you less power, but you're also manifesting the opposite. Hmm. So that's why they say many times um, political leaders get into office when no one wants them because everyone's like, for example, I don't want Trump. I don't want Trump. I don't want Trump. And it's like this whole projection of what you don't want is actually manifesting what you're putting out there instead of saying, For example, I want Biden, I want Biden. And so it's just a way of putting your intention into the universe in an energetic frequency because we know for a fact that thoughts have a frequency. And when you put off that frequency, that same type of thing comes back at you. So it's just about aligning yourself to the frequency and the things around you that you want to attract so that it comes back to you in a positive way, in a favorable way. Okay. Can I, can I try to restate that? Sure. Okay. Here's what I, here's what I think that you're saying or or, or how, here's how I understand what it is that you're saying that anytime you want something, there's kind of an inverse of what you don't want. Like, like in the example of like, you don't want Trump. And so you're kind of focusing on that. And, And so because there's that inverse there and that's what you're focusing on, that's what gets express like you talked about frequency like you're talking about thoughts and feelings that focus on that thing that you don't want and so it that focus of what you don't want kind of brings that that energy of what you don't want into being well basically it could just go either way is what i was trying to illustrate because some people will say well i'm always cheated on every relationship i get in i'm always cheated on 
because they're saying it over and over and they're speaking that reality into existence and they're putting out the frequency of I'm the type of person who people cheat on with Yeah. instead of saying, I always have abundant love, faithful relationships. And so I think, and you speak about it in your book as well. It's just about perspective. It's about where you're putting your focus and what you're choosing to draw to you. It's, it's very important. Um, And and I think it's how you, how, how we train our minds. Yeah. Um, and, and that, that book I mentioned earlier, inner size. And then there's another one I've been reading. That's uh, Byron Katie loving what is, and, and both of them are talking about the power of thoughts in your mind. And so if you've got this kind of thought, like I'm always cheated on, I'm always cheated. I'm always cheated on you combine, like you're creating this neural pathway. And like, every time you have that thought, it gets more solid, more solid, more solid, more yeah. solid. And it becomes this like self-fulfilling prophecy almost through the mechanism of confirmation bias, because we've got these neural pathways in our head that filter the reality of the world. And so now what are we seeing is all the times we get cheated on because we've created that pattern in our mind. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that's, that's another way to put it as well in like technical terms. And Joe Dispenza talks, Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about that as well, because I think it's true that once you start believing something, you fit your reality to that belief. So if you can change your core beliefs, then you can start to change your perspective and your reality. Can I take that one step further too? Because we talk, we're talking about a lot about the mind and what the mind's manifesting, but we talk about our thoughts are manifesting, but one feeling I feel like can, can, can lead to 10,000 thoughts. You know what I mean? If you're feeling fear, you're, you can go in this mind fuck where you're just in this mind spiral of like what am I fearful of oh am I fearful of my losing my job my house my wife whatever and you can you're you're projecting your fear out and your mind's racing right so there's something about so in the instance of someone who keeps being cheated on because they're projecting that out there and that's their fear it's probably because there's a feeling of uh worthlessness or not like feeling of like i i don't deserve to have something for a long period of time that they need to fill into and release and when you fill into and release that then your your thought patterns change and i think that's one of the beautiful things about plant medicine what plant medicine can do is it can help us dig into those feelings that are so hard and so scary to feel when we are in a conscious state when we're not in an expanded state and meditation other states that can get us to expand, get us in an expanded state of consciousness. We can access these feelings that the ego doesn't want us to feel. And if we can access those feelings, release them, then they're not constantly running our thought patterns. And then we can get into a spot. If we're feeling abundant love within us, we're, the, the universe is going to manifest that back to us. Yeah. But it's in releasing those. And so I, I don't want to get in a situation where people think that like, Oh, if I can just control my thoughts, control my thoughts, you're just going to like, you're going to kind of spiral. I feel like it's more about dropping in, at least in my view, dropping into your body and feeling what blocks you might say, okay, I want to manifest abundance. I don't have enough money right now. And I want to manifest more money. Okay. What is it? What self-limiting limiting feelings do you have? Do you have that are preventing you from having more? And feeling those and allowing yourself to feel, you know, self-doubt, self-worth, you know, issues, you know, and releasing those. Yeah. 
I think that's the perfect way of saying um, treating the actual ailment instead of the symptoms, Mm -hmm. the symptoms being our thoughts and the ailments being the underlying beliefs or emotions that are creating those thoughts. Yeah. Are you guys familiar with uh, Jonathan Haidt's The Righteous Mind? Yes. Yeah. So, so in, in the right, he's talking about moral frameworks and, and, you know, why some people are grossed out by things that they are offended by things and other people aren't. And he, he creates this metaphor of an elephant and a rider and the elephant, as you were talking, Mike, I was thinking about that, like these emotions that you're feeling, you know, come to us like a feeling of disgust or fear or whatever it is. And then, you know, so that's like this elephant. And then there's this rider, which is our rationality, our intellect, where the, the elephant is, you know, our whole like limbic system that it's un- unconscious. And, and if the rider or if the elephant gets angry and decides it's going to charge, there's really not much that the rider can do to stop it. Um, but when the elephant is kind of calm and docile, the, the elephant can kind of, or the rider can steer it. And, and so I, I, and, and then the other part of that that's really important is that he said that as he did all these interviews and studied people, he recognized that the story that somebody tells about why they're feeling the feeling is usually not true. It's, mm. it's usually an ex post facto story that's been created by the intellect because just the dissonance of not knowing why, you, why is so great that you create a story because, oh, this is why. And so, you know, you start creating these stories and then it becomes a habit and we start telling ourselves all of these lies about why we're feeling what we're feeling. So, so when you were talking, Mike, I was thinking about that, just feel the feeling, recognize the story that comes up and then go, oh yeah, this is the lie that I'm telling myself about why I'm feeling this feeling. That's interesting. And what you, and what you realize is the lie is actually an excuse to hold on to the feeling. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. It's like, you're feeling fear. And you don't know why your mind's like, I don't know why I'm feeling scared. Okay. It must be because I'm worried I'm going to lose my job, but you project that worry out there as a way to hold on to the feeling Mm. and not relinquish it and not fully feel it because Mm. your ego is scared to fully feel that. Well, and in that book, in that book, Jonathan hates, I mean, he's, he's talking about like why we're, why we're divided on things like politics and religion. And he's pulling from, he's pulling from, you know, Daniel Kahneman's uh, work on thinking fast and slow, where we're talking, you know, we're talking about system one and system two. Glenn, you mentioned it way earlier on when we were talking about, you know, there's the conscious mm-hmm. mind that's, that feels like it has some control and feels like it's doing something. And then there's the subconscious or the unconscious mind yeah. that is doing 90% of the work. It's, it's, it's pumping blood through my, my system. It's uh, making sure my lungs are filling up with uh, oxygen and stuff like that. I'm going to jump in here as I'm in the middle of this editing process and share a clip from the book Inner Size that I mentioned earlier in this discussion because it illustrates exactly what Doug's talking about here. Um, so this is from the book Inner Size. Enjoy. Your brain does a staggering amount of work. It runs all your organs and regulates your temperature. It operates your immune system. It repairs the constant damage done to your body. It also controls your muscles and runs your digestive system. It keeps your heart beating, your eyes moving, your hair growing. It warns you of danger and fights cancer and welcomes in love and pleasure. 
and that's still just scratching the surface. There is faith, consciousness, instinct, and so much more. It does all of this while you drive a car, think about that great American novel you want to write, and talk through a challenging problem with someone you trust. We are all burdened with ancient brains trying to focus and survive in a high-tech world. Your brain has evolved to keep you safe and in your comfort zone by creating neural patterns that become habits. The habitual patterns that your brain uses to be efficient have another distinctive characteristic. They run below the level of your awareness. They're what we call non-conscious or subconscious, and they reveal one very important fact. You have two brains, not one. Not two brains in the physical sense, of course, but neuroscience has shown that one part of your brain is your rational, logical, conscious mind, while the majority of the other areas operate in a much deeper emotional and habitual way that is largely controlled by your limbic, ancient, subconscious mind. Your conscious brain, super slow. Your subconscious brain, lightning fast. Your conscious brain, conceptual. Your subconscious brain, perceptual. Your conscious brain, thoughts and feelings. Your subconscious brain, instincts and emotions. Your conscious brain, deliberate. Your subconscious brain, habitual. Your conscious brain, explicit. Your subconscious brain, implicit. The conscious-subconscious divide explains so much of why change is difficult. You might consciously want to have more intimate relationships, for example, but subconsciously you are anchored to protecting yourself from feeling rejected. Or similarly, you might consciously want to lose weight, but subconsciously fear that even if you were thinner, you still might feel unlovable, so why bother? And therein lies the problem. While you may choose your goals consciously, your thoughts often conflict with your hidden emotions and instincts. You can set goals consciously, but if your subconscious processing, habits, and old conditioning are working against you, change becomes difficult, if not impossible. Well, when Shalise talks about manifest what you want, that, that gets into like, okay, let's define the, the, even the concept of want, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, there's, a, there's a disconnect between the conscious and the subconscious of what is truly wanted and needed. If we all agree that we are God having a Doug experience, having a Glenn experience, having a Shalise experience, having a Mike experience, then subconsciously or metaphysically or spiritually or whatever you want to say, we want to have those feelings of scarcity, Mike, that you mentioned, or we want to feel like, what's it like to feel like you can't get past this idea that everybody wants to cheat on you? Every, every relationship that you have is broken. Every, every person that you fall for is going to betray you. There's a big part of our subconscious that is uh, getting off on feeling a lot of those feelings, not yeah. to bring up the, the book Existential Kink or anything like that, but there's like this, there's this uh, sort of like common ground that weaves its way through all of these people that are studying the human mind that it's like, God, the human mind doesn't have uh, the clarity that we all think that maybe it does. And also there's a lot of things that are controlling these concepts of desire and want 
and manifestation that are much more powerful than our conscious ego identity, what, you know, whatever we want to call those things. Yeah. They're just saying, shit, I want to, I want a chocolate milkshake from Shake Shack here in my hands right now. Well, maybe I do, but I really don't because I know that that's going to make me feel like shit tomorrow. It's going to make me feel like I'm uh, not, you know, living up to my, uh, you know, fitness goals and stuff like that. It's not just like some kind of magic trick where I'm manifesting a, a chocolate shake into my hands. There's a lot more complexity that goes into this concept of what do I want? And who's the I in that sentence? What do I want? Well, a lot of that's been decided by, not to quote Joe Dispenza, but it's my body and my emotions that are dictating a lot of the, uh, you know, the conscious front brain stuff that I feel like I deserve and want and is ego driven and wants to have success and doesn't want to be cheated on and all that kind of stuff. So I think that it's fun talking about this stuff as far as like, okay, you know, the power of the mind can manifest these things, but it's an uphill battle because most of the mind is being used up by the subconscious and the subconscious is often at odds with what the conscious mind thinks that it wants. I have pretty much everything that I thought I wanted when I was 22 years old, but I remain unfulfilled. I remain unsatisfied and I'm seeking something else. I'm seeking some kind of connection because 22 year old conscious Doug didn't know shit about shit, you know? And so that, Mm -hmm. that elephant in your example, that elephant is powerful and abides by its own set of ethics, morals, uh, you know, instincts, and the rider has the illusion of control. And sometimes the rider has some control when the elephant wants to do what the rider wants it yeah. to do. But very frequently, very frequently, that elephant doesn't give a shit what that rider <laughs> wants and wants to look out for its own well-being. Mm. Yeah. I mean, to just, uh, you were talking about the book, Existential Kink, and that's kind of what she mentions in that is that we manifest what we want. The subconscious gets what we want, what it wants. Mm. So the reality we're living in now, whatever reality you're living in, your subconscious wants that or feels like it deserves that. And so if you want to shift that, it's about tapping into your subconscious and feeling and shifting that. It's not necessarily... It's more of a, it's more of a, I guess, whatever, working with the elephant, you know, help, you can't just like tell the elephant where to go. You have to kind of work with it and feel through it. Um, Embrace your inner Trump. Embrace it. Yeah. (laughs) We talked about that. We we keep getting in trouble for talking about that, by the way. (laughs) We got another comment the other day. (laughs) Do you think then... It could be said that in order to address the elephant in the room, you have to to make the unconscious mind conscious. And to do that is just having presence. Like Eckhart Tolle talks about being aware of the unconscious mind and being an observer of the unconscious mind brings you into the present moment. And usually when we're in the present moment, we don't want much. 
because most people are living in fear. For example, like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills, blah, 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 like scary anxiety. And then when you drop into the present moment, you're like, oh, I'm actually totally safe. Like I'm in a house, I have food. There's nothing that is immediately going to harm me. So presence is a great way of kind of shifting into figuring out what your subconscious needs rather than focusing on what you want to manifest through the ego. Man, I don't know. That's, a, that's one I struggle with, Shalise, because like I, I really, really seek presence, but I struggle with not being present because I do need to pay the bills. Like I, I do, need to, I do <laughs> yeah. need to figure out, making sure my kids are taken care of, make sure we got the, and so the, the question that you just asked, because when I'm tripping and when I'm in the present moment, I'm feeling like, dude, I, my needs are met. But when I'm out of that, when I'm out of that present moment, it's like staring down the barrel of what bills are due, what do you got to prepare for, what sports things do your kids have? So it's finding that balance. And we're back to the duality of third dimensional living. I hate to say that, but yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not an easy thing. And it's definitely something that I go through all the time as an actress and a costumer. It's like, I don't have a regular job, but I will say in my own experience, every time that I just sit back and really just allow things to happen instead of worrying is usually when I'm the most abundant, when the phone calls just come in out of nowhere, or like I was in a commercial and it turned union and it was like winning the lottery and all of these things just keep happening when I just really allow myself to be chill and in the moment and not living from a state of fear, but a state of abundance and gratitude. And it's hard. It's easier said than done, I know, but it does work for me when I really dedicate myself to it. One point to that real quick is because I know in our podcast, we've talked about this before is treating your life as a lucid dream, right? That we're in this dream and it's lucid dream. Well, in a lucid dream, your ego is still controlling it, right? So what if it's an element of treating life like a dream where you let the subconscious if you fully live in the present, it's a trust thing. Or you talk about Doug, that worrying about paying the bills and worrying about how am I going to do this? If you're living in the present, you know, you're getting triggered by certain things and those triggers are helping you feel into what you need to release. So it becomes a game of release and surrender. This is getting a little woo, but let's just follow it for a second. Release <laughs> and surrender that you're actually working on your having this level. You're expanding your capacity to uh for abundance and more and you're surrendering to you know as uh they would say your dharma or your journey you're here you're surrendering to your hero's journey and maybe that's too feminine and you maybe you need a little like masculine to like offset that but what if we live that's something i'm kind of playing with lately is what if we live life like a dream not just a lucid dream but really surrendered to the present all the time and it's fucking hard. <laughs> oh, that's hard. I love that. But that's hard. So I, I'll tell you in the last four years, I've lost three jobs. And the first time I lost a job, I, I, I'd been working this job for 13 years. And it just devastated me. I was absolutely terrified. I'm like, oh, we've got to sell the house. We've got to sell the car. We were like, we are screwed. And I remember sitting down and talking with, uh, with Scott Rowley, actually, from Infants back in the day. And he was saying, why, why are you so, what, you've got, you've got savings. Yeah. And you've got credit on your card. Yeah. You, 
you're not in any dire like emergency thing right now. Oh, okay. You know, I was just like worked up in the state of absolute panic because I wasn't present in the moment. I was just thinking like this horrible thing happened. Then um, the, the second time I lost a job, I'd been doing that for two years and I still felt a lot of that like kind of self-loathing, like what, what's wrong with me? Like I, I'm worthless and you know, like I can't hold a job anymore. Like I can't, I'm, I'm not, you know, just like all this. It wasn't as bad as the first time, but I had learned by this point to be a little bit more mindful and that, that when I feel those feelings, instead of like vilifying them, trying to push them away or anything like that, go, okay, it, it makes a lot of sense that I would be afraid in this moment. <laughs> you know? yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going yeah. to be in this moment. I'm going to, I'm going to let this be what it is. And that, and that was about a year ago when that happened. And then the third time that I lost my job was this morning. <laughs> Whoa. <What? laughs> oh, <wait. laughs> it was this morning. And, you know, it's, it's something that I kind of saw it coming. I, I knew that was going on. There's no hard feelings with my employer. It's just like because of COVID, they weren't making any money. I can't continue paying my salary if they're not making any money. And so I'm, I'm able to look at myself today <laughs> compared to where I was four years ago, the first time I lost a job. And I still have like, okay, I got to go and find something new. But like I'm I'm more present about it like I when I feel those feelings because there were times earlier today I'm just like you know wow I can't believe it happened again and it, it's it's not that I'm like okay the universe will just bring something to me and I don't have to do shit no but it's it's the I don't have to panic so hard <laughs> on this oh, I can I can yeah. trust and know I I, I've been in this place before. I've gotten out of this place before. I'm, I'm here again. There's people around me that are going to help. There's, you know, like I'm, I'm in a good place. And a, a lot of that is work that I've done with plant medicine, meditation, these, these books that I read and I keep bringing it back to the, the brain and, and the mind and, and the science of the brain and the science of the mind, because we can have all of these cool discussions about Palladians and, you know, like w- yeah. whatever we want to do that, that are these woo discussions. We're talking about symbols. Like th- these are, yeah. these are ideas that like, we, we really have no fucking clue what, yeah. what we're talking about, but they're these Dumbo mm-hmm. black feather symbols that are the object of some kind of story that we're telling that's getting us somewhere. And th- this has been something that's been really helpful for me in, getting away from like the anger towards the Mormon church and, you know, all of these bullshit beliefs and stuff like that is to go, okay, these, it's all symbols. We're all, and that's why in in the Mm -hmm. book bathing with God, I talk about everything's a fiction and, you know, I have this chapter on Dumbo's black feather, but it's okay to talk about woo things and have it be like this symbol that like, this is, Mm -hmm. this is helping me hope or helping me cope. It's giving me hope. And uh, I'm, I'm getting through life and, whether it's a woo thing, whether it's a science thing, whether it's a whatever thing, we're, we're using these words and these stories and these symbols. And um, yeah, my, mindfulness has really helped me tune in more to my feelings and ask myself, okay, these thoughts that I'm thinking in response to these feelings, are they true? Are they not? You know? And uh, so, yeah, that's my story. Wow. Yeah, I love that you brought today. up the, yeah, I was going to talk about <laughs> 
I just I I wanted to bring up because your your point about uh, the the black feather in Dumbo hit home for me big time because it is about the power of belief and the symbol of belief and the the symbol that um, unlocks potential right I mean you know you, you kind of go into it but in the story I mean the feather has no magic yeah but but it has it has power as but it as has a focus tons of, of attention power. yeah yeah exactly so that's back to the thing about like what what are we saying when we say true when we say real when we sell it well i mean who are we to say that the that the black feather didn't have that it was magic because it created in dumbo that belief that he could fly yeah right so we're all saying oh well it's just a fucking feather well uh not to get into like inception of like, well, Dumbo is make believe, therefore the feather is make believe, therefore Dumbo couldn't fly. I, I get all that, yeah. but the power of the symbol in that story is is real. And you know whether it's the ballet shoes, you guys know the story about the ballet shoes or the. Uh, am I making something up here? The ballet shoes that made the girl a good dancer. Believe it. <laughs> it's the same story as the black yeah. feather from Dumbo. Yeah. The girl was a bad ba ballet dancer and her teacher gave her magic shoes. And she's like, but the shoes weren't even magic. Yeah. But they are magic because they created a great yeah. dancer. They yeah. created an elephant that could fly. They, they, so back to the duality, it's yes, we logical, cool, smart, hip human beings know that an elephant can't fly and no amount of crow feathers can make that happen but also we suspend our disbelief and we're like dude look at dumbo flying isn't yeah. that awesome he can yeah. fly yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did, did did you guys see this was a documentary years ago called kumare yeah it was a yes, dude about yeah. creating the cult or whatever yeah yeah the, no, this guy vikram yeah. gandhi where yeah. where he he starts it like he's trying to be Sasha Baron Cohen doing like a Borat character or something like that. Mm -hmm. He's like, okay, yeah. I'm going to talk like my Indian grandmother and, you know, become this, this guru. He learns all and, that yoga and stuff. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and he's just trying to mess with people and, and filming it for this movie. But then he, he sees that people are actually starting to really like him and benefit from his ridiculous teachings. And he starts liking them and he starts feeling like a piece of shit for fooling them. So he he does this 180, or it might have been a three. It might have been a full circle, Doug. I'm yeah, not sure. I think it's a 180. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. If we're counting each other, it's yeah. like five. <laughs> and and uh, where he starts saying, "Oh, I'm going to teach you guys that the power is within you, and that you don't need a guru at all." And so he he teaches them, and then like half of them like are angry, and they never talk to him again. The other half of them still love him. And I'm like, well, okay, but they kind of did need that guru to tell them like, do, do they need the guru to tell them that they don't need a guru or do they not need, you know? And it's like, <laughs> we're all, that. every single one of us, no matter who we are, where we are, we're all in a state of becoming. Like we're becoming something different than what we were before. <laughs> so oh. we're all constantly changing. And and what are the things, the, the stories, the objects, the Dumbo's black feathers, the fictions, the truths, the reality, what are the things that are helping us become it's kind of like an arbitrary thing where it's, it's helping us become something different. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think that the mindfulness, when you, when you start recognizing, okay, there are these fictions that I'm telling in, in, in my head 
I am the ego. <laughs> I am the ego. This, this <laughs> ego that everybody says we've got to get rid of. Sorry, you're not going to get rid of it. You are the ego. All of this yeah. is ego. And okay, so let's be a malleable ego. Let's be a self-aware ego and uh, author our own fictions in a way. Like, oh, like where do we want to go? And, and I, I do like the idea of tuning into that inner self, you know, like the subconscious of what it wants and, and having it be a more of a marriage than an ego death or something like that. Um, but I, to, to me, that's what mindfulness is. And that's, that's where plant medicines come in is just kind of helping that, that mind connect to the heart, having more of that integration, um, but I don't know. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen examples where it can go awry too. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, like it's, it's powerful stuff when you're messing around with brain chemistry. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a tool. That's all it is. Right. It's yeah. not, it's not going to do the work for you and no, you see it, yeah. you know, you can take, you can gobble up some mushrooms and go, you can do lots of things when you're on mushrooms, right. You can yeah. do some self-exploration. You can go have fun with them. You can go and, but if, how you're using the tool, you know, it, it, it affects it. And you see it and you see even like, even in medicine, such as ayahuasca, there's a, there's a dark side, a shadow side to psychedelics mm. where people can abuse the power of it. Mm. Um, but if you're using it with a good intention, there's just so much healing that can be done. And Glenn, I loved how you were talking about becoming Oh. And we come from such a doing society and like we're doing, you know, you're graded on your effort and what you do, what, what do you do for work? We know, but who are you yeah. as a person and who are you becoming? And I feel like that ties into the manifestation. That's a really insensitive question to ask me on a day when I lost my job, Mike. I know, I know. Right? I mean, come well, on. To like, Mike, come he on. just told us that he lost his job this morning. Jeez. Why are you asking him what he does? <laughs> Now I don't even know who I am. <laughs> you enlighten the public. You enlighten the public with your um, channeled information. Yeah, it's all channeled. Yeah, oh, wow. you're a beautiful being who's sharing this with, and that's what I mean. It's like you're who 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 are we we becoming? And the person we're becoming—that's what manifesting is. Is like you you get to a state. Of, well, the, I mean, here am I saying this is what manifesting is? I don't fucking know, but like. <laughs> Um, you get to a state of like becoming something and then radiating that out, it comes back Yeah, in a way. And, you know, not to drop more books. I know we've dropped a lot of books here, <laughs> but there's, there's a book uh, that I'm reading. Have you guys ever heard of the surrender experiment? Yeah. By Michael Singer. By, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he wrote the Untethered Soul, and the yeah. Surrender Experiments is, is basically a story of his life, yeah. where he decided, "Hey, I'm just going to surrender to the present moment, keep my heart open." And when things happened, he just opened his heart, and like if something happened and he felt fear, he allowed himself to fully fear, feel that fear, relax and, and release, relax and release, and he kept doing that. And it's an amazing story. What happened with his life? Um, mm. But it, I don't know. Something we were all talking about reminded me of one of the punchlines of my Bufo experiment was we, because we're all on this journey. We're all on our own hero's journey, right? We're here alone. We have to go through it alone. No one can choose to go 
to, no one can make us go through it. We have to choose it, right? We have to go through it alone. Guys, have I had too much beer? (laughs) (laughs) But when I was on Bufo, so it's almost like coming back from a dream, right? And where you, you, it's hard to remember when you were in it. But the shaman woman was, was telling me, okay, when you come back, bring back a mantra to bring with you. And the mantra was, you've never been alone. You have help. You have love. Love is abundant as much as you're willing to receive it. So even though you're going on your own journey, we all have help. And we all have love all around us. And, you know, Glenn, you're in a situation where you lost your job this morning, but you have, you're supported. You have people who love you. You have people, you're, the being you are, you're going to be fine, you know? And yeah, let us know if we can help in any way. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that, Mike. You know, there are a few ways that you or any of my listeners could help. First, you could go over to Amazon.com and buy my book, Bathing with God. I'm also a certified holistic life coach. Over the past year and a half, I've coached a number of clients who have wanted to find better balance in their life, to figure out how to have more self-confidence, more inner peace, to navigate their faith crisis or challenges in a marriage, to be more forgiving and less angry towards family and friends, to better understand their own mind and their own limiting thoughts and beliefs. So if you or someone you know is interested in life coaching, send me an email at infantsonthrones at gmail.com. But even more helpful than that, you could join the Infants on Thrones Patreon page and sign up to send me a few dollars each month. It takes quite a bit of time to do this podcast with all the edits and production value that I like to put into it. Between recording, listening back to it, doing edits and adding clips, a one-hour episode usually takes me about three or four hours to create. Now, if every person who listened gave me just one dollar per episode for my time, I wouldn't need to find another job and have a single employer pay me for adding value to their company, I could be funded by my listeners who recognize a value in the time that I put into these episodes that they listen to. So that would be the best way for anyone to help. Thanks for asking. Yeah, let us know if we can oh, help yeah. in any way. <laughs> Amen. Oh, just, yeah, yeah. yeah and, and, you know, like that, that thing about being alone, like I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't really have imaginary conversations with the trillions of cells in my body, but I do think of these eukaryotic <laughs> cells as being individually living things that, that contain yeah. an incredible amount of intelligence that I am completely ignorant of. I mean, every single one of these cells in the nucleus has the DNA, like the genetic blueprint to become any cell in my body. And, you know, so what, what is my relationship to these cells? I need to make sure that they get enough food. I need to make sure they get enough Mm. oxygen. Um, You know, I I need to make sure that, that I don't stress them out with too much cortisol (laughs) levels that I'm (laughs) sending through my nervous system, you know, like that, that, so you're never alone in in that sense. There's like, we're made up of living things that are communicating with each other and like they do it that that's the inner self. Like that's, that's this whole, you're talking about the 90% of the brain. That's not the conscious part. That's all of this communication, this intelligence that we have in our bodies. We don't even think about, we're not even aware of, but it's there and we're not alone. You're and not somehow not those... alone. We're not alone. <laughs> I Even love it. though right now oh. you are alone. Oh my gosh, I remember that song. <laughs> well, and even in just like, but if you think of like your subconscious and when you dream at night, 
and let's get into the a little bit here. When you dream, oh, now, yeah, now, now, whoa, whoa, whoa. now, let's get into the woo just a little bit, if you guys don't mind. Okay. Just for a minute, let's yeah. take a little detail. Well, I'm just saying that you know the people in your dream are all you. You know, they're all people inside of you. Yeah, but and that's so not you woo. Can, yeah, you can connect with those people. I'm just saying you were talking about more from a cellular level and the cells, but I feel like I have a lot of like living beings inside of me. Maybe this is partial schizophrenia. I don't know, but like, it's <laughs> <laughs> like, I connect with these people who I have emerged in my dreams or in my meditations. Like I talk about on the podcast that one time I dropped down and saw a spider lady who has become like a spirit guide for me. And I can tap into that. And, and I, and there's one time when I was doing a meditation where she's like, it was a sound bath, full moon sound bath meditation. And she's like, you're not treating me like a real person. <laughs> you're what? like, you, you talk about me, but like, hey, I'm, st- I'm real, you know? And whether that's real or not. It's real. It's real. It's real to me. And you know what? She's guiding me in a way when I tap into that energy inside of me that it's been good. So all right. You want, you want me to, to blow your lives. mind? You want me to blow your mind yeah, right now, Mike? Please, okay. I would love it. <laughs> so, so we're we're talking on Zoom. We can see each other on the screen. You're looking at my face right now. What is it that you're seeing? Oh shit! Don't do this to me right now. You're man. seeing like, your own mind. <laughs> you're seeing the inside of your brain. That's that's what you're seeing. There's light that's bouncing off of the screen, hitting your eyes, going into your retina, going down this this cortex, and it's inside of your brain creating this little image. That's the experience. It's all in your brain. It's all in your mind. That doesn't mean that there isn't an outside world that exists. It's all in your mind. What are you hearing right now? These are electronic signals. Like what what I'm doing with, with with this mind, these incredible nervous systems that we have, we don't even have to think about how we're forming words. We're like shaping molecules in the air like we would with clay. They're, they're different shapes and they hit your eardrum and it translates into electronic signals and it goes into your brain. So that's your brain. So <laughs> it's not woo it's to say air. that all of the characters in your dreams are you yeah. any more than it's woo to say everything that you're experiencing in the outs that, that it really exists in the outside world. You're only getting it in your brain. Like that is there. There's a guy, David Eagleman uh, did a Ted talk. And he talked about the umwelt, like our range of perception and stuff like that. Like freaking A, that guy's awesome. We are built out of very small stuff and we are embedded in a very large cosmos. And the fact is that we are not very good at understanding reality at either of those scales. And that's because our brains haven't evolved to understand the world at that scale. Instead, we're trapped on this very thin slice of perception right in the middle. But it gets strange because even at that slice of reality that we call home, we're not seeing most of the action that's going on. So take the colors of our world. This is light waves, electromagnetic radiation that bounces off objects and it hits specialized receptors in the back of our eyes. But we're not seeing all the waves out there. In fact, what we see is less than a 10 trillionth of what's out there. Anil Seth, that was another one, another TED talk where he's talking about how we, we hallucinate reality. In the story I'm going to tell you, our conscious experiences of the world around us and of ourselves within it are kinds of controlled hallucinations. 
that happen with, through, and because of our living bodies. Let's start with experiences of the world around us, and with the important idea of the brain as a prediction engine. Now, imagine being a brain. You're locked inside a bony skull, trying to figure what's out there in the world. There's no lights inside the skull. There's no sound either. All you've got to go on are streams of electrical impulses, which are only indirectly related to things in the world, whatever they may be. So perception, figuring out what's there, has to be a process of informed guesswork in which the brain combines these sensory signals with its prior expectations or beliefs about the way the world is to form its best guess of what caused those signals. The brain doesn't hear sound or see light. What we perceive is its best guess of what's out there. In the world, you motherfucker! Yeah, I I am someone who already struggles with solipsism and the idea that I can only know that I exist, and now you bring that shit to me. When <laughs> no, I, I mean, a... I'm not saying that other people don't exist. We exist, but our experience of it is happening inside of our heads. It's yeah, but that's something that's, that, what... that's that's something that someone who's trying to convince me that they are not a figment of my imagination would say like oh no 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 the external world totally exists look at us all we're here yeah. having this conversation i'm uh -huh. thinking up my thoughts and i'm saying them through the zoom well if, yeah, if you right. want to know if that figment of an imagination is a good or evil figment raise your hand to the square and oh, no. say in the name of jesus christ i command you to leave or ask, ask to, shake, to shake hands, hands. That's, that's what you do you, shake you hands you know hands. right Cause a, because a, oh, a, a, an enlightened that. being or an angelic being yeah. will say, no, I, I can't. I, but, I, can't I mean, so, so and, and Joseph Smith was off on that, too, because even if you do feel the hand, that's happening in your mind, too. That's exactly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's what you were saying in the book, because you, I mean, that part in the book where you're talking about it's all it's 100 percent inner. Oh, yeah, it's 100 percent. I did put yeah. that in there, didn't I? You <laughs> did. Yeah. Uh, and I'm understanding it better now. <laughs> oh. Have we solved anything? Are we like final? I think final. we might have done a, a 360, Doug. Yeah. I'm honestly agreeing with you, Felice. Figment of my imagination. Full circle. Me, yeah, exactly. God damn it. Yeah, I like I talking with you guys. It's fun. Yeah. I like exploring this. This is fun. It was really fun. And I knew we you. were in for I knew we were in for it when uh, Glenn said to me. Did you really come full circle? And I was like, <laughs> "Fuck you!" Yeah. I've always often said we don't have fact checkers on our podcast. We just like say whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we say whatever we want. It's true. Yeah. It's real. Do, do your listeners not chime in as fact checkers for you every once in a while? They do. They do. When? Yeah. Well, sometimes they say, "Hey, I'm disappointed. You guys talked about Trump." I'm like, oh, "I'm sorry." That's not a fact check. <laughs> That's an opinion check. Um. Yeah, but most of most most of the time they've been fine. Yeah, we I don't mean, get a lot of like yeah. you're wrong about because once in a while we'll we'll misquote you know like Isaiah twenty one six or something like that, mm. and we never have anybody be like actually it says go set a watchman. For thus hath the Lord said unto me, go set a watchman. Let him declare what he seeth. I might be right about that. By the way, Isaiah twenty one six might be about a watchman, but anyway. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm mostly wondering, we're kind of going to a demographic that I don't even know if they listen to podcasts. I don't, <laughs> I don't think our demographic listens to podcasts. I also don't think that they care about facts. No. How did well, they listen to goes, you if they're not listening to podcasts? I'm confused. They don't. I think it, it goes back to truth. Like what we were just talking about, everyone who listens to the podcast 
is looking for a different perspective on truth, knowing that there actually is none. And that's why nobody really cares what we say, because we just say what we think. And if it's your perspective and it makes sense to you, great. If it doesn't resonate, great. Leave it and move on. Yeah. Awesome. I don't like cool. we need You're the man, dude. Out. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Nice to meet you guys. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Enjoyed it. All right. Cool. Well, have right. a good night. Talk to you later. Bye. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Hey there, thanks for listening all the way to the end. Now, I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I have more to say about this topic, and I'm going to do that with a follow-up behind-the-scenes sharing time episode on Patreon. So, if you're in a position where you can throw me a few dollars each month to support the work that I put into creating this podcast, please come and support me on Patreon, where you'll also get access to additional content. Did you know that I also create sharing time episodes that are available only to Patreon subscribers? I've been doing that for a few years, so there's a lot of content there that you can have access to. So please come and support this podcast if you can. I greatly appreciate it. Hi, this is Hillary. Matthew Ryan. Carol. Keith. Ashley. And I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes. And take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts flow past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down arms of the night. Choosing love when I pick up this mic. So